Acts chapter number 5. Acts chapter number 5 tonight. And let me just go ahead and say before we get started, uh, I'm going to go ahead and apologize up front if I get to coughing tonight. I have been dealing with a scratchy throat lately, but a good cough here and there might wake some of you up, so that's all right. Acts chapter number 5. What we're going to look at tonight is a message I've entitled, Faith That Produces Boldness. Now, I stated this morning when I was introducing the title of my message that I believe the day and age we live in today is a day that we need boldness unlike we've ever needed it before. God's church needs boldness. We as God's people need boldness. If we're ever going to do the work of God, we must have boldness. Now, where does this boldness come from? I believe it comes from our faith. Our dependence upon God will produce in us boldness in order to do the work of God. Now, if you were to take some definitions of the word boldness, uh, if you look in the dictionary, it says a willingness to take risks. And that's one way to look at it. But I'd like to, for you to remember tonight, if you want to look at boldness, we're going to look at it as doing what is right no matter the cost. To do what is right no matter the cost. We know that there's a cost that we pay for serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that there are things that we give up in order to serve the Lord And oftentimes I think about our missionaries and others that are out on foreign soil and they're preaching the Word of God under persecution. They know that the risk is there, but yet they continue to serve God. They continue to do what's right no matter what it costs. That's boldness. And that's what we need tonight. So let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer and then we'll look at our text. Father, we love you tonight and I pray that you would bless the preaching of thy Word. Lord, I pray that you would give me the strength I need to preach this message. And may the Holy Spirit of God take control of this service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If we come to Acts chapter number 5, we're going to notice some men in this chapter that exemplified great boldness in what God had called them to do. If you have Acts chapter number 5, let's begin reading in verse number 12. The Bible says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Now let's take a break right here and just make a few comments. When we look at verses 12 through 16, we find that what's going on here is these apostles, the Holy Spirit of God has come upon them. They've been empowered at Pentecost. They're out doing the work of God, and God is blessing in a miraculous way. We see that they are literally out preaching and teaching God's Word. The Bible says that they were turning the world upside down through the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're seeing all manner of blessings. They're seeing the work of God prevail. Now let me say this. Anytime we see God's work moving forward, anytime we see that a church is on fire for God, Satan is going to be right behind them with the attacks. Satan is against God. He is opposed to God. And anytime you and I are boldly doing the work of God, be ready for it. Satan is going to attack. And we see the beginning of these attacks and he uses the high priest. Look at verse 17 and we'll see that first of all, These uh, apostles were bold to continue to preach even after they had been imprisoned for preaching. Look at verse 17. 
The Bible says, then the high priest, notice then, it's as the work of God was going forward, then the high priest rose up. And all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and they taught. Now, if you look right this way, I want you to see that, number one, when we look at the boldness of these apostles, they were bold in that they continued to preach the word of God even after being thrown in prison for doing that very thing. Now, at this point, you can imagine that many folks would have given up on God at that point. After all, many times you and I both have given up and stopped doing something for less persecution than this. We look around America, we really don't know what it is to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. And yet we see these apostles, not only are they thrown in prison, you think about it. They might have been feeling in their heart and mind, what did I do wrong? I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do. They were thrown in prison simply for preaching Jesus' name. And we see this in verse number uh, 21. Look at it with me again. Excuse me, verse number uh, 18. The Bible says here, they laid hands on the apostles. Now, if you're looking at this, the religious leaders and the high priest are angry, okay? They are completely angry and ticked off at these guys that are preaching Jesus Christ. And they're so angry that they put hands on them and they put them in the prison. When you read that verse, that phrase, they put hands on them, I do not believe that what the high priest and his followers did was grab Peter by the hand and gently walk him to the prison. I believe when the Bible says they put hands on them, that this was a very forceful thing. They were making a statement. They were trying to assure that these men would never speak the name of Jesus Christ again. Now, at this point, you would imagine that it probably would have been very easy for these apostles to give up and throw in the towel. I mean, it would have been very easy. They've been thrown in jail. They don't know what's going on. They don't know when they're going to get out. It would have been very easy for them at this point to have thrown in the towel. And I say again, many times you and I throw in the towel when it comes to the work of God for far less. We go out and we get the idea that we're going to go out and we're going to knock on doors and we're going to give the gospel. We're going to see folks saved. Three houses in, two haven't answered the door, and the third one shuts the door in our face. And we say, huh, I'm done with this. And for far less than going to prison, we've already stopped going door to door. We see it all the time. I talk to people time to time that once we're in church, once we're faithful Christians, and you speak to them, they're now out of church, out of the will of God, and you say, man, what happened to you? And once you get it out of them, usually it comes down to something that somebody said that offended them. Now you think about that. If somebody else has the power with their words to stop somebody from getting right with God, continuing to be right with God, to go to church, to serve God, that is nothing. That is so petty compared to what these apostles have just gone through. They were forcefully put in the prison. Maybe they would have been tempted to say, it's not worth the persecution. It's not worth it. If serving God is going to put me in jail, I'm done. And that would take a lot of people out of the ministry right then and there. Perhaps they would have felt like they had paid their dues. Maybe they felt like, you know, I served God for this long. I saw God bless this long. Now I've been thrown in jail. I think I've just had enough. I've paid my dues. 
Some people get the idea that God owes us something. And if we do enough for God, we finally reach a time in our lives when we can say, you know what? I've served God long enough. I've taught this Sunday school class long enough. I've worked in that bus ministry long enough. It's time for me to just go ahead and get out and let somebody else go. I've done it enough. Can I tell you tonight, church, that you and I never reach a time in our lives when we've done enough for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're breathing tonight, God is still desiring to use you in a mighty way. And God will use you if you will be yielded unto Him. But I want you to see that though the disciples, these apostles, are doing the work of God, they have this persecution that comes. The high priests, the religious leaders, they cast them into jail. These guys have no idea what's going on. But yet we see some boldness in their life. We see a faith and a dependence upon God that gives them boldness. Here's how I know that. Look at verse number 20. These guys are in jail under persecution. And in verse 20, the Bible says, or excuse me, 19, The angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, brought them out, and said, Go, stand, and speak in the temple of the people all the words of this life. And in verse 21, the Bible says, they, When they heard it, they entered into the temple early in the morning, and they taught. Get the picture. They're thrown in jail. Verse 19, the angel of the Lord comes, opens the prison doors. Now, if you're thinking logically here, if you're looking at man's wisdom, uh, the right idea, the smart thing, humanly speaking, as soon as that jailhouse opened, would be for them to run and hide, man. Get out of Dodge. Escape. You think about it. If Peter and the apostles are in prison, they're there wrongfully, they know as soon as they get out, if those same guys catch them, they're going right back in there. Well, it just makes sense, man. Get out of town. Run and hide. But I want you to see that these apostles, they had a boldness that many would not have. Because rather than fleeing, rather than running and hiding, when the angel told them to go preach in the temple, in verse 21, we find they did not question God. They did not hesitate. They did not doubt for one moment. When God gave a command, verse 21, the Bible says, immediately when they heard it, they went straight to the temple. They did it early in the morning, and they began to teach. Friend, listen to me. That takes boldness. That takes some faith and some dependence upon God that you and I need tonight so that we will continue to do what is right no matter what it costs us. We need that. But notice, not only were they bold to continue to preach Jesus, I mean, they continued to do it after being in prison for it. Notice where they taught. This is interesting to me. Not only were they bold enough to still preach Jesus, but notice where they did it. Look in verse 20. The angel says, Go and stand and speak in the temple. Verse 21, They went, they entered into the temple, and they taught. The Bible says it was in the temple. As soon as they got out of jail, they went straight to the temple. They opened up their Bibles and they preached Jesus Christ. You want to know what that is? That is the exact opposite of running and hiding. They went to a very public place. They went to the one place that there was no doubt those religious leaders that had thrown them in jail would find them. And they went there anyway. They were obedient to the voice of God, knowing the risks, but willing to do what was right, no matter what it cost them. They went. They obeyed the voice of God. They continued to preach, no matter what it cost them. Now notice with me, secondly, not only did they continue to preach after the imprisonment, but number two, they spoke the truth very boldly to the high priest. Look at verses 22, uh, verse 22 through 33. 
But when, uh, excuse me, let's go back to verse 21, middle of the verse. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within." Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in the prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then went the captain with his officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Do you get the picture here? These guys are back in the temple. They're continuing to preach. They're showing their boldness. They're showing their faith in God. The high priest finds out about it. He grabs his officers. They march straight to the temple, sit these guys down in front of the council, and they question them. What are you thinking? What are you doing? We just threw you in prison for preaching, and now you're out here doing it again. And I want you to see the boldness that these guys had because we see how they respond. When you look at this, uh, look in verse number 29. We see Peter's response here. He is addressing directly the high priest. The Bible says in verse 27 that the high priest asked. Okay, they're taught, The high priest is doing the questioning. <coughs> Understand that the high priest is the guy with the power. He's the guy with all the followers. He's the guy that had the ability, the power, and the influence to throw these guys in jail just because he wanted to. He's a very powerful man. And now he catches these guys doing the same thing, preaching the same Jesus Christ, and he confronts them. And listen to what Peter says in verse 29. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now look right this way. What he's doing is Peter literally took off the little kid gloves, and he didn't hold any punches, he didn't sugarcoat anything, he took a shot directly at the high priest. Here's how I know that. You would imagine the high priest, if he is the religious leader, and he's supposed to be, it would stand true reason that what his desires are and what his will is should line up perfectly with what God's is. He is supposed to be the spiritual leader. For example, we take our pastor down here. As he leads our church and as he makes decisions for our church, his will and his desire for our church ought to line up with God's will. He is the spiritual leader of our church. Well, when Peter is looking directly at the high priest, this religious leader, he looks him square in the eyes and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. And what Peter's doing is he's taking a shot at this guy. He says, Look, if you really were the religious leader you claim to be, your desires and your will should line up with God's. And if that were the case, we would obey 
We would follow. But what he says to him is, you're not right with God. You have missed the whole picture. We're not obeying you. We're following God. And Peter, in front of the council, in front of everyone, calls out his sin and tells everybody he's not right with God. He may be the religious leader, but he is not right with God. His will and his desires are not lined up with Almighty God's. You know, the Bible tells you and I that we are to confront sin. We are to call out sin and say it like it is. And that's exactly the example we see these apostles doing. They're questioned by the high priest, and they had enough boldness that they spoke boldly to this priest. They spoke the truth, and they were unafraid of what him and his power and all the officers of the council were able to do to them. They did what was right, no matter what it cost. And so not only did they tell this guy, and they called him out in front of everybody, they told him what his sin was, they took a shot at him and said, we're not going to obey you, we're going to obey God. Notice verse 30. We see another incredible statement that he made. In verse 30, he says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew, and hanged on a tree. You know, just a few verses before, the high priest had said to these apostles, You know, one of our problems with you guys is that you're trying to bring the blood of Jesus upon our hands. You're trying to make us guilty of killing Jesus. You're trying to bring that blood on us. And Peter, again, looks him dead in the eye and says, Guess what? You are guilty. You are to blame. He said, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. What Peter is saying here is not only is the high priest not right with God, but now he's letting them know that that same Jesus, that Messiah that they had been looking for and looking for, the high priest was supposed to be looking for the Messiah. And Peter says, listen, he was here. Jesus was here. He was the Christ and you missed it and you hung him on that tree. That blood is on your hands. Can I tell you, friend, I would have a hard time most likely looking at a man that powerful and speaking that boldly. And that's to my shame. That's a lack of faith and dependence on my part and many of our parts. But these guys had a faith in God, a dependence on God that produced in them a holy boldness. They continued to preach even after persecution. They spoke boldly to the high priest who had all the power to put them right back in jail. And now we see after this transpires in verse number... 33, after Peter and these apostles are telling all of these things to the high priest and they're talking in front of all the council, the Bible says in verse 33, when they heard that, they were cut to the heart, they took counsel how to slay them. Man, these guys are angry. These guys are upset, all these religious leaders and these officers. So they begin to talk one to another and they begin to conspire how they're going to get rid of these apostles for good. And I want you to notice it's very interesting. When we come to verse number 38 and 39, one of their own stands up and gives some advice. And I believe this is some great encouragement to you and I tonight. There's a a fellow named Gamaliel, and he stands up. And in verse 38, he says, And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily ye be found even to fight against God. You know, these guys are all talking about how they're going to get rid of these apostles for good. They're talking about how they're going to kill them, how they're going to slay them. And then one of their own stands up and says, hold on a minute, I've got the answer. Do nothing. Because if what they're doing is in their own power, it's not going to last. 
But if what they're doing is God's power and God working through them, it doesn't matter what we do. We can't overthrow that. We can't fight against God. Listen, friend, let me encourage you tonight. If you are serving God, you're doing the work of God, you're yielded to the Spirit of God, no matter what adversity you face, no matter what opposition comes your way, it's not stopping the work of God. God's work cannot and will not be stopped. He's God. If you and I will just get on board and be yielded to Almighty God and and yield ourselves to the Word of God, we're safe. We're protected because God Almighty will fight for us. You get out and you feel like you're getting punished for serving God and you feel like you're suffering some manner of persecution. Can I tell you tonight that that opposition is not against you? That opposition is not against Brother Josh? That opposition is against God Almighty when my will lines up with God's will and I'm doing what He's commanded me to do. And friend, listen, my God's not going to lose. He is a big God. He is a powerful God. And we cannot overthrow the work of God. Now, the other is true as well. If you and I get into the rut and we get into a routine when we stop yielding to God's power and we begin to walk in our own strength, guess what? We're not going to last very long. We're going to burn out. We're going to quit. And so I find this very interesting. I find it very encouraging. Get on board with God. If you're on board with God and you're serving God and yielded to God's will, not only is the work not going to quit, but you have no reason at all to cower. You never have a reason to fear. You never have a reason to quit. Because if you're serving God, you can boldly do so no matter what. God will prevail. Notice with me, number one, they continued to preach even after persecution. They were bold. Secondly, they spoke the truth boldly. Notice with me, thirdly, they were bold to continue to do more of the same. They just kept on doing more of the same. Look at verse number 40. And to them they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them and commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Friend, listen, they were bold to just continue to do more of the same. And by the way, you know what our churches need? You know what our world needs? It needs more of the same. We need more of the same Bible. We don't need a new Bible. We have God's Word in the King James Bible. We don't need anything new. We don't need the new music that the world is trying to shove down our throats and so many Christians are deceived by it. We don't need that new stuff. We need more of the same that has been passed down to us from generation to generation. We don't need a new program. We need church. We need the preaching of God's Word. We don't need anything new. We need more of the same that we've had all the way from Jesus Christ. The solid teaching and preaching of the Word of God. And we see that their boldness was that they continued. Notice again in verse number 40, the Bible says that after they had beaten the apostles, they let them go. In just a very short time, these guys have been imprisoned wrongfully. And I would imagine that was not a very pleasant prison. They were publicly shamed, brought in front of the council, and they sought to embarrass them in front of all the council. And now they have been beaten. Again, I think these uh, religious leaders and officers are angry and trying to make a statement. I doubt this was just a little slap on the wrist. They were beaten. You and I probably have no idea what that would mean today. 
But I would imagine they were probably a bloody pulp. They might have been limping off the scene. They had been beaten. And yet the Bible says in verse number 41 that they departed from the council. Look at the next word. Rejoicing. These guys left after a beating, after an imprisonment, and they left rejoicing. If anything, all of this persecution motivated them so much the more to serve God. And that's exactly what they did, because in verse 42, the Bible says, daily, every day in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Man, can you just tell the boldness, the tenacity that these guys had? They were steadfast. They were unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But how did they have such boldness? Where did it come from? How were they able to get right back up after being beaten and go back at it and keep doing more of the same? How did they have that under all this persecution? Here's the answer. Faith. It was the faith and their dependence on God that produced in them the boldness to serve God. You know, faith produces a lot of things. But one of those things, and one of the things that we need more than anything in today's world, is that boldness. Their faith produced their boldness. Listen to me, please. It was their dependence on God's strength, not their own. These guys understood they were not strong enough to see all the power and all the blessings that they saw in verses 12 to 16. They knew it wasn't their power that was healing the sick. It was God's power. They were not strong enough to open the prison doors. That was God's power. And they had their dependence on God's strength, not on their weakness. They had their dependence on God's wisdom of what God knew was best, not on their own wisdom. Get the idea. We already stated this, but if these guys are in prison, these apostles are in jail... When the doors are opened, the logical thing is to get out of Dodge. That would have been man's wisdom, to go, to flee, not to risk going back to jail. But their dependence was not in their wisdom and what they thought was right. It was in God's wisdom. And I'm sure they probably had no idea at the time what God was going to do. They can't see the future. They had no idea why God told them to go back and preach. And guess what? They didn't need to know. They, by faith, just rested in God's wisdom. Can I tell you tonight, we don't have to know everything. We don't have to see the end because if we're in God's hand, we know we're safe. We can rest in that. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, lean not on our own understanding. You don't have to have the answer. They didn't have the answer. But when they were yielded and their faith was in God's wisdom, God blessed. So their dependence was in His strength, in His wisdom. Their their faith and their dependence was also in God's sight. God's sight. You know, God tonight sees everything. God sees from the beginning all the way to the ending. He is the Alpha and the Omega. God does not exist inside of time. He is outside of time. And He knows the end of all things. We live in a limited sight. We only see what is right in front of us. And their faith, praise God, was in God's sight, not in their own sight. Because all they could see was right, what was right in front of them. They had no way of knowing. They had no idea that 2,000 years down the road, this account in their lives would still be recorded in God's Word, would still be preached on tonight, and would still be encouraging God's people. They had no idea. But they had faith and they had dependence that in obeying God... 
there would be blessings in it. There would be rewards in it. God knew what He was doing, and He still does, doesn't He? God knows what He's doing. They didn't know that down the road they would be beaten, and once they were released, the Holy Spirit of God would put it in the Word of God, and we would have it tonight. But what a blessing. Friend, you don't know what's happening down the road. What's right in front of you may look dark, it may look scary, it may look like something you can't overcome. Have faith in God's sight. Have faith that He sees the end and He knows what He's doing with your life. It was their dependence that gave them the boldness to continue to serve God. They continued to do what was right no matter what it cost. Now, in closing, as we conclude the sermon tonight, I stated to you we need this boldness. Our churches need this boldness. We as God's people need the boldness that these apostles had. And let me tell you some reasons why. Why do we need boldness today? As the church, if we're going to see God's work move forward, what is it that causes us to need it? Notice with me, number one, I believe tonight we need boldness unlike ever before because Satan is a strong enemy. Our enemy is the devil himself. Now, I believe, and you know this, according to God's word, Satan is a defeated foe. We know the end. We've read it in the Bible. We know Satan loses and God wins. But in the meantime, he is still a very powerful and very strong adversary. And he is very good at putting temptation before us. And guess what? That temptation does not go away. We will always be battling, as we heard this morning, our sin nature. It doesn't go away just because we have a new nature. And Satan will always tempt us. And Satan will always seek to attack and destroy our lives. And can I tell you, one of his greatest tactics is to convince you and I that we're missing out on something if we serve God. Isn't that exactly what he did to Eve all the way back in the garden? He comes along and is that old wicked serpent that sly snake, and he tells Eve, listen, you're really missing out serving God. If you would just eat that fruit he told you not to eat, you would be like God himself. You are missing out. And he convinced her that she was. And after that, the whole world was plunged into sin. You know, Satan is still using that tactic today. Satan will come alongside you and I and tell us that if we live for God, we're going to lose some friends. If we live for God, we're going to miss out on some popularity. If we live for God, we're going to miss out on some entertainment that might be enjoyable for a time. Friend, listen to me. Satan is a very strong enemy. He is opposed to the work of God. And if we at Central Baptist Church are going to see God's work move forward, we've got to have boldness because Satan is on the attack. And guess what? You and I cannot, cannot in our own ability withstand the temptations of the devil. We need our dependence and our faith to be in God. He'll fight for us. You know, the Bible says if we resist the devil, he'll flee, he'll flee from us. But you know something? It takes a lot of boldness when Satan's on your shoulder and he's trying to convince you you're missing out. It takes a lot of faith and a lot of boldness to send him taken off running with his tail between his legs. He will flee if we resist, but we've got to have the boldness to resist. Number two, I believe we need boldness today because of our pride. Next to the devil himself, it is ourselves that are the greatest enemy to ourselves. Next to Satan, I am my own worst enemy. I am the greatest enemy to myself, and I have pride. I don't know if you recognize that. If you've been around me, maybe you did. It shows its ugly head from time to time. But we are all prideful. 
And our pride does not just magically disappear. We battle with it. We go to war with it often in our lives. And we're so filled with pride. And here's, here's what pride will do. Pride will make it very, very hard for you and I to admit we're wrong. But you know what? We'll never do anything for God until we first admit we're wrong and He's right. As long as I think that I am all that, then I am handicapped, put on a shelf, collecting dust in God's work. I have to come to the place where I can admit that I am wrong and God is right. But so often that pride rears its ugly head. And when God tells you and tells I, whether it's during the uh, preaching service, whether it's at church, whether it's in our car, whether it's in our devotions, when God, through the Holy Spirit, says, you're disobedient. That thing in your life is not pleasing to me. And God wants you to give it up. Whenever the Holy Spirit says, hey, you need to spend more time with me than you're spending with, and you fill in the blank. Whenever the Holy Spirit of God says, your attitude is rebellious. You better humble yourself because you got a proud look and you think too much of yourself. What pride does is when the Holy Spirit places His finger on something in our lives, we allow that pride. We allow that there's nothing wrong with me attitude. The I'm good attitude. I hear that so often with teenagers. I'm good. I don't need anything else. And we allow that pride to keep us in our pew when we ought to be on our knees at the altar. It hinders us from getting right with God. You know, we get the idea from time to time that as a Christian, a Sunday school teacher, a bus worker, somebody that's been saved for a long time, we get the idea that walking down that aisle and getting on our knees in front of God is a weak thing. It's a sign of weakness. But can I tell you tonight, it takes so much more boldness to walk that aisle and get on your knees before God than it does to stay in your pew and ignore God. The weak thing to do is to stay there. Write it out. Five more minutes and he'll be done. If I can get out of here, I'll be good. No, it takes boldness to get on your knees before God and say, Lord, I'm wrong and you're right. Forgive me. It takes boldness to have that dependence in God, never in ourselves. Then lastly tonight... I believe that we need boldness because Satan will attack us. Our pride will hinder us from serving God. We've got to be able to admit we're wrong and he's right. And then thirdly, I believe the next greatest enemy we have next to Satan and ourselves is peer pressure. Peer pressure. Now you think about it. Some of you just turned your ears off when I said that. Because we think that peer pressure is only for young people. We think peer pressure only affects those in middle school, those in high school, But I want you to know, the older I get, I never outgrow peer pressure, and neither do you. We always are concerned about those around us, and that peer pressure will hinder us from doing what God wants us to do. Here's what peer pressure says. Peer pressure says, you know you shouldn't, but you'll be the only one that isn't. Have you ever been there before? The Holy Spirit says, hey, look at all the people and all the sin that they're doing. You know you shouldn't. But you're the only one not doing it. That's peer pressure. Peer pressure is when God has told you what to do. And you look around and you realize nobody else is going to understand. Man, that's a hard place to be in. 
You're at work, you're on the job site, and God comes along to you during a revival service through the preaching, and He pricks your heart about being a godly example at the job, being a witness at the job, maybe dressing a little nicer, representing the Lord, and you work in a place where nobody else serves the Lord, nobody else goes to church, and you stop and think, you know what? These guys aren't going to understand why I'm doing this. They're going to make fun of me. You know what that is? That's peer pressure stopping you from doing what God's wanting you to do. Peer pressure also says that when the preacher asks you to respond in an invitation like I'm going to do in just a couple minutes, to stand to your feet, to leave your seat, and to come and do business with God, peer pressure says when the preacher asks you to do that, you look around first. And when you don't see anyone else going, you refuse to be the only one. Friend, we need boldness. If we're not willing to stand to our feet, walk down an aisle, and get on our knees in front of our church family, how do we expect to be willing to knock on a door and give the gospel and be a witness to people that aren't even in church, who don't care about us and love us? God help us. We must have boldness. By the way, we're what, two weeks away from our revival meetings with Dr. Van Geldren? What's going to fill our pews during this revival? You and I being a witness. How are we going to be that witness if we're not bold enough to go out and do it? We need boldness if we're going to reach Marion County. We need boldness if we're going to see the work of God move forward. I'm not saying that it's easy. In fact, it's not easy. I am convinced that it was not easy for these apostles to be thrown in jail. It was not easy for these apostles to get up as a bloody pulp after being beaten and limp away. But you know what they did? They walked away from the beating, not with their heads down, not complaining. Their head was up, their eyes were on heaven, and they rejoiced that they could serve God. Boy, they were bold. And that boldness came because they had determined... It's better to serve God than men. It's better to serve God than myself. And church, can I tell you tonight, the boldness in your life doesn't just happen. You're not going to wake up in the morning and suddenly have enough boldness to go out and be a witness. It happens when you yield to God. Your dependence, your faith in God will produce in you boldness. You say, hold on a minute, Brother Josh. You're talking about all these things. And the truth is, I'm a very timid person. Truth is, I'm scared to go out and be a witness. Listen to me. Your problem is not a lack of boldness, it's a lack of faith. Because your faith will give you the boldness that you need to do what God wants you to do. So how about it, friend? Will you start tonight by being bold? If God has spoken to you tonight, in just a moment when we have our invitation, will you take the first step to coming to this altar and getting right with God if there's something that you need? If you realize that in your life you have lacked the boldness, God has called you to do something. We've all been called to witness, for example, and you haven't done it. Will you take the first step tonight to come to the altar and ask God for boldness? Lord, give me the faith. Lord, give me the dependence upon you. Help me to look at you, never myself, but to see you. Will you be bold tonight? We need it. If we're ever going to see the work of God move forward, we need it. Let's bow for a word.